Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. Before we get into the interview with Coach Ryan Osborne, BAFCA would like to extend a huge thank you to all of our guests so far and for all of the listeners for engaging with the podcast. Please do continue to spread awareness of the podcast to your colleagues and get in touch if you would like to be a guest on the show. Now let's listen in to Coach Osborne who will be talking about developing the defensive line. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. I'm delighted to be joined today by the defensive line coach of the University of Tennessee, Martin Skyhawks, Coach Ryan Osborne. Coach, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Adam? I'm very good. Um, just trying to get through these times, but uh, a lot more opportunities to get football development done. Um, how are you guys getting on over there in America? Uh, good. Good. Obviously, West Tennessee, um, probably a little bit more sheltered than most places, but um, things are good here. Trying to make everything um, as close to the status quo. So, you know, your everyday activities, trying to meet with the guys as much as you can and uh, do a little recruiting in between. Excellent. Right, so before we start getting into it, today we're going to be talking about defensive line play. But for those listeners that might not know who you are, why don't you give us a background of how you got into football, your coaching career up to today's date? Yeah, so um, like you said, Ryan Osborne, I'm from... Uh, Norton, Massachusetts. I was born in New Jersey, moved around a lot. Dad was in the Army. Um, ended up going to high school at Norton High School. Um, played an offensive line in a wing T offense. Wasn't very good. Um, I actually didn't go to college right away. I was in the local 103, uh, the electrical union, and uh, did that for a year and realized that it was miserable. One thing that I really enjoyed uh, more than anything was the game of football. Um, and obviously, Really wasn't that good to play, so I uh, tried to get into coaching as quick as I could. And I was a student assistant at the college I went to, Bridgewater State University in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Um, after doing that and graduating with a degree, uh, moved on to Maine Maritime Academy and worked at a couple of Division three schools. Um, after that, coaching the defensive line, coaching the front, uh, Amherst College, um, which was a great opportunity, and then became a defensive coordinator um, at St. Norbert College in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, did that for uh, a year, uh, left that position and got hired by Coach Mullen at Mississippi State in 2016. Was there for two years as a defense graduate assistant working um, with the defensive line outside linebackers. And then um, when he took the job at Florida, went to Florida with him for um, those two years as well. And, uh, uh, you know, worked for under Coach Grantham one year at Mississippi State and then the last two. Um, at Florida. So, and then now I got hired this past January at University of Tennessee Martin coaching the defensive line. So this is where we're at. Excellent. How are you settling in at UT Martin? Uh, good. So real unique, obviously um, uh, the world is going through something really unique right now with this pandemic deal. And, uh, but I got there in January, my first weekend, we had a recruiting weekend. Um, you know, we were able to sign a couple D linemen. Um, which I, I think are going to be really good for our program, which was sort of unique, just sort of getting used to that and sort of uh, it's the, the craziness in this profession is 
when you take a new job, you're trying to learn things as fast as you can, um, which is sort of fun and exciting, but it's sometimes a little nerve wracking and different. Um, when you look at this position, especially coaching defensive line, and we'll probably talk about this later in the podcast, but uh, the culture of that room is so important. So, you know, when I first got there, I mean, I wanted them to, you know, learn everything about me, but really before any of that could happen, um, I wanted to learn everything about them because I don't think those guys, especially that position, they really care what you think, right? They just want to know that you care about them. Um, and once they know that you care about them, they'll start to start to trust you. And once they start to trust you, um, then they'll do anything for you. You know, they'll run through a brick wall for you. So um, it's been unique trying to get trying to get those guys um, sort of all on the same page. We have been talking a lot about culture of the room and just understanding that it's not I, but it's we. Um, and I think that's been unique for me because obviously it's the first time I've always been an assistant to someone else. This is the first time with the opportunity at this level, uh, the division one level to, to sort of handle that. And um, I've had a chance to learn on some really, really good coaches. So um, defensive line coaches and defensive coordinators, as well as a great head coach, and Coach Mullen. So I think everything that I've learned, it sort of set me up for this opportunity and um, I'm just sort of taking it and run with it. But things are good. Excellent. Um, and you touched on it there slightly with some of the coaches you've worked under, you know, Coach Mullen, but also the coordinators and the assistant coaches. What are some of the things that you've perhaps learned over the last five or six years on those staffs that you're going to take forward as a, a positional coach? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... Um, so we'll start with head coach down, right? Just because obviously that guy is the leader of the program. So um, I've learned something from every coach I've ever worked for. If it was um, Chris McKinney at Maine Maritime or EJ Mills at Amherst um, or Dan Mullen at, at um, Mississippi State or Florida, I think the, the biggest thing, and, and you can f- figure out the success of a program if the head coach's plan is consistent, um, organized, um, I, I think, you know, at Florida, we talked about um, accountability and trust all the time. At Mississippi State, obviously, it was the same message. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, the, the plan will always be set place and set forth by the, um, by the head coach. So for me, obviously, I was sort of really low on the totem pole uh, being a graduate assistant. Um, so I was just following. I mean, I was a follower. And um, working for him, it was unique because, you know, he gets, he gives you the chance to coach. I mean, he gives you the chance to be a part of something. Um, but I think the biggest thing with him was he was consistent uh, and he was very organized and the plan that they had, um, the either, either be the plan to win or just, you know, being a championship program. I mean, it's almost brainwashing. And I think that's, that's what makes a really good head coach because everyone in that organization believed that, um, Everything we were doing, it was fourth and one. It, 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 it mattered, um, be it in the weight room, academics, on the field, off the field, in the community, anything that we did, it was important and it was going to directly um, correlate to wins and losses on Saturdays, you know, in the fall. Um, when you talk about defensive coordinators, obviously the best one I've ever worked for and really the only one I've ever worked for at Division One level is Grantham. Um, you know, he's – if you ever have a chance to talk to him, he's – um, very, very smart, obviously a defensive guy, a front guy. Um, but I mean, he knows it all. I mean, we were, 
we were sound in the past. We were really good against the run. Um, we're able to cause chaos and confusion. Um, but he, he was the same way, right? He's, the, he's really the head coach of the defense, and, you know, he follows those same plans. He'll always follow the plan to win for the head coach, and he follows the plan that was set place by Mullen. But, um, you know, working for him, I learned a lot about scheme, technique, uh, defensive line, outside linebackers, what have you, but also just, like, how to deal with problems, you know what I mean? How to, how to game plan, how to get ready for opponent, what to look for in recruiting. So you, you learn a lot from him, um, or I, I did at least. Um, and a lot of those things in those meetings, you just listen, you know. And once he starts to trust you, you know, he gave me a lot of responsibility, which was great um, to sort of start to think on my own a little bit and, and give, give ideas in meetings. And I, I think, and I, I thank him. I still continually do every time I try to see him, you know. Um, and then some of the position coaches I've worked for and worked with, um, you know, again, talk about Grantham, just the technique and the outside linebacker play, learned a lot from him. Um, you know, Sal Sinceri, David Turner, Brian Baker. I mean, those are guys that, um, you know, Sal, Sal's obviously at Alabama now. Um, David Turner is still the D-line coach at um, University of Florida. And then Brian Baker is at uh, – Indianapolis working with the Colts. But I learned something from all those guys, and, and they all had three different um, coaching styles, but um, everything was very similar in terms of the technique, right? You talk about uh, in the run game, violent hands, um, you know, being active, um, having a good base and being um, strong at the point of attack and the pass rush being active, uh, violent when you're swinging, you know what I mean, being um, – being and sort of having good leverage when you're rushing the passer. So those are things that like were very similar, but they all had their own way to coach and sort of get it to the players. And I think that's what you learn the most of being like a, an assistant is you start to, you start to see how people are communicating with their players. Um, because I think everyone has a very similar message, right? You look at all the really good teams and really good coaches. They all have very similar messages. I think what's important is, how they get that message across. Um, Cause like, you know, I'm going to say there's, there's different ways to skin a cat and um, you know, they were obviously very effective in their own right. And just trying to find and mix and match all those ways that those coaches did those things and uh, sort of build my own coaching philosophy, you know, and uh, finding ways to get that message across to the guys that I currently coach now and for them to be effective um, and efficient on, uh, on Saturdays. Basically, and you mentioned your coaching philosophy there. Is that something you've um, defined now or is that something that's still a work in progress and you're still finding your way through? Well, it's, so, it's funny. Like, so I'm going into year 11 of coaching football, right? And obviously, like, there's a lot of Division three years in there. Um, there's six of them. And now this is my fifth year working in Division one. My first year at FCS. Last four, I was in the SEC. Um, so it's, it's funny because, like, if you told me – or asked me that question, I guess, five years ago, it might have been a completely different answer. I think the, the philosophy for me, um, sort of the coaching philosophy, but more or less the, uh, my personal philosophy is like, is more of expectations. Like I, I try to be consistent, um, organized, honest, loyal, and I try to bring enthusiasm. So I think when you think about those five things, right, consistency, like, I'm trying to be the same person every day, right? I, I, I expect, and the players should expect me to 
um, not have ebb and flow, right? Like I'm just trying to be the same guy that comes to work and works hard every day. Um, organized, like, you know, when I go to these meetings, these Zoom meetings, like the players, man, like, especially millennials, right? When you deal with these guys, like they don't have um, the longest attention span. So how can you change the stimulus of the conversation? Like, how can I get these guys to, to consciously think about everything that I'm saying, but also retain it? So like, I try to be organized and I try to have a systematic approach of how I, how I deliver this meeting. Is, is it through, is it, am I watching video? Am I showing, um, pictures? Is it a lot of words? I mean, I, I try to change it up and I try to send them things before we meet. So again, just trying to be organized um, really with all aspects of everything that I do. And obviously currently being the D-line coach, it's really focal. The, the focal point is really on um, the defensive line. You know, honestly, obviously that's like a core value for, um, for anything in life. But um, you know, I, I, I hope that when my time is done at UT Martin and the guys that I coach, they, they'll, the first thing they'll say is, hey, man, that guy was real. He told it straight. And I think that's really important. It um, doesn't always mean that the message is what you want to hear, but it's the honest message. message and, um, you know, it's, it's what needs to be said. So, um, again, I think that's important. And loyalty, I think, also sort of goes with that. Like I, I told the guys today that I met with, like, man, I am, I am in their corner. You know what I mean? Like, if we're going in a fight, like, I'm there for them. Like, I ain't worried about anyone else but the guys that I have to coach. And, and that's it's sort of selfish. But at the same time, like, I'm giving everything. My heart is on my sleeve for them. I'm willing to give and invest everything that I have um, to, for them to, um, to know that, hey, man, I am loyal to them. I'm going to stick with them through thick and thin. And then enthusiasm, and I think that sort of wraps everything up with, Hey, I'm gonna. If I'm gonna be consistent every day, man, I gotta, I gotta work really hard. But I also gotta, cause listen, if I'm consistent and I'm bringing energy and enthusiasm, um, those guys might not feel it that day. Well, I gotta, I gotta be the same dude, and I gotta sometimes fake it till you make it, and um, you know, sort of getting excited about what we're doing. It could be, hey, man, we gotta do a run today. Okay, well, listen, gotta get excited about the run. Academics, gotta be excited about academics. Um, recruiting, obviously got to be excited about recruiting, whatever it is, bring enthusiasm to the job. And so I guess it's not maybe a really a philosophy, but some, some expectations and things that I think that are important um, that I hope after people maybe um, play for me or having to have dealt with me, they can say, Hey man, this guy is consistent. He's organized. He's honest. He's loyal. And he brings enthusiasm. If those, people can say that, then I think I've done a good enough job. Excellent. Right. So today we're talking defensive line, obviously you coach defensive line. Before we start going into the sort of skills and the drills and the things that um, we do on the practice field, just to give you a scenario of what you might face if you're in the UK is we have recruitment periods, um, which isn't the same as recruiting from high school that you guys do, but yeah, we might have a practice field full of athletes, most of which may not have played football before. What if you were facing that situation, you were coaching the defensive line position, what are some of the things that you'd want to try and identify from these athletes to see if they were potential defensive linemen? And in addition to that, 
would that be different from interior D linemen to edge rushers? And will that be different based on whether you're a three man front, a four man front, or whatever it may be? Or is it just going to be the same across the board? Well, I think um, when you talk about uh, defensive line men, right? Like, you know, like the foundation of playing defensive line. Um, and this is not even talking scheme, but yeah. You know, you know, I, I would like to say that there are height and weight measurables that you want to follow. That being said, like, I mean, you're hearing from someone that started in Division Three, so you know the 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 body types I've seen big, I've seen small, I've seen tall, I've seen short, I've seen guys that have been effective, and their bodies look completely different. I mean, let's just talk about some of the guys I worked with when I was at Mississippi State. You have Gary Green, Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, Braxton Hoyette, right? Those are four guys that um, they all look different. Their body types are all different, um, but all four are are in the NFL. So I don't know if it really matters, the body type, but I always bring that up because I know some people do ask, well, I'm 5'9", 250 pounds, can I play nose? Well, you probably can. I think a lot of the things are, um, you know, is the guy relentless in what he does? I mean, you talk about like, that's a non-negotiable, right? Like does the guy always go right? I mean, um, you talk about, I guess this is more in the run game, but you know, how is the guy's technique? You know, does he understand block recognition? Um, does he have a violent strike? Does he have heavy hands? We sort of alluded to that a little bit earlier. Um, you know, does he have a good base? I mean, is he, is he stable? Is he getting moved at the point of attack? You know what I mean? Can he anchor? And then, and then from a pass rush standpoint, um, you know, can this guy convert um, from pass once he sees high hat? Can this guy bend and landmark rush and accelerate through um, the quarterback? I think that's a, it's a tough question because, like, I, I know when you were talking with Coach Zampezi, like, there are obviously some things at the quarterback. Those are some intangibles at that position. I think defensive line, I think, and we talk about this in recruiting right now, there is a place for everybody. Like, it's just everyone's skill set. I think once you have defined that for the individual or the individual has defined the skill set for them based on film, you can start to put them in position. So, you know, like when you're watching a guy, he, let's just say he's 6'1", 320 pounds. Well, that might be a two-down nose, right? Like on third down, he's got to get off the field where there might be a guy that's maybe 6'4", 230 pounds. Well, can that guy play 4-I? Eh, probably not. But on third down, what can, he, what can he do? Man, he can bend and accelerate, and he can landmark rush. So I think it's, it's tough to say, well, this is what you want in your ideal pass rusher. This is what you want as a, your ideal D lineman. I think the biggest thing in the negotiable is, like, does this guy go? Does this guy, I mean, can he just go? Like, the effort he puts in, because, you know, the knock on D linemen, depending on who you talk to, is like, well, they're lazy, you know, and the good ones, the real good ones, when you start looking at some of the best D linemen, like, let's, like, currently out there, right? You look at Vaughn Miller, Khalil Mack, both the Smiths that are in uh, Green Bay, both those guys are dogs. Um, you know, Chandler Jones is always up there. Um, Demarcus Lawrence, I mean, like, when you start watching those guys, the one consistency all those dudes have 
is when the ball is snapped, they go, and they go violent and hard. Um, so I would say that is a non-negotiable. Like, this is not a passive position. I mean, you got to think about what the position requires. On every snap, you have to put your hands on someone else. Like, you don't always have to do that at, at other positions. You know, obviously the offensive line you do. But, you know, you, you, are, you are in charge of putting your hands on the man in front of you. And as you do that, someone else may strike you from, um, from outside or inside. And two guys, right, the, the power of two men are trying to move you so a run can happen right, right where you're initially lining up. I mean, that's, that's a different mindset. I mean, like you have to, you have, to have a little bit of – uh, a little bit of a different makeup to to play that position, but I think the number one thing is is obviously going hard um, and being violent when you do it. Fantastic. So let's get into actual defensive line play. So we were talking a bit before the podcast, and we're going to treat this as a bit of a a one hundred and one. So I'm giving you a player that I think could be potential defensive lineman, and we're going to start with him from scratch. Okay. With, your, with your guys, do you teach a specific um, stance in terms of whether it's three point, four point, or a stand up in that type of thing, or do you coach guys to do all of them for versatility? Yeah, well, you know that that's again, I think it's that's a good question. That's that's one of those things. It's like um, I think it's a comfort thing, right? So when you talk about and really, to me, it's like first and second down stance, third down stance. Because, again, the, the situation may be different. I think, obviously, um, when you're just getting into an initial stance, I think um, a three-point stance is, is probably the most comfortable for more guys than, than it isn't. I will say that a lot of guys are transitioning to four-point. Um, but I think a lot of it has to be the technique you're playing. What I mean by that is if you're more of a head-up alignment versus, um, versus an outside shade, you may have a tendency to be more of a squared stance, more of a squared base. You know, you're, you don't have much stagger um, in your heel-to-toe um, because, again, you may be attacking the guy in front of you and reacting off his block. Versus if I am um, an edge, right, a five technique, a three, whatever, I'm working to maybe penetrate or get upfield and just try to read that near pad tip of that offensive lineman, guard or tackle. And it's more of a penetration idea versus, hey, I'm just trying to hold the point of attack and I'm trying to put my hands on blockers and, and let the ball bounce. Again, I think that's more defensive philosophy. but the stance, I think, is, is, is an ability thing, but I think it's a comfort thing, too. Like, for me, I'm probably just – and you've seen me. I'm not that tall. I'm, you know, 5'9 or whatever. But um, I would be more of a four-point stance, right? I'd be – because in my mind, I'd be more of a guy that would want to strike someone thick and be able to almost play a gap and a half or two-gap type of deal. You know, you look at some of the longer-rangey guys, right? Like, I mean, Montez Sweat, he could do both, but – he was really in a three-point stance. He was so elongated, he could just get out of his stance, you know. Um, when you talk about third down, I think third down is a little bit more tight and narrow, more sprinter stance-ish. 
you know, where your butt's a little bit higher in the air. You know, you're still proofing the ball just like you would if you were in a first and second down stance, but the mindset of the stance might be a little bit different where, you know, first and second down, we say, hey, man, we want to get our feet in the ground. Third down, we're trying to gain ground um, for obviously the scenario and the situation that we're currently in. But I think a stance is a preference thing. Just to, I know it's sort of long-winded, but it's a preference thing, you know. Um, but I would, I would teach them both and whatever they're comfortable with, um, make sure that they can do everything that they're being asked to do effectively. So if you're a team that moves in stunts, make sure you can do it out of both. If you can't, then obviously you can't be in that stance, right? And I think the scheme might dictate exactly what type of stance. You know, there's a lot of DNs now that are in two-point stances. You know, can they do everything from that same stance? If they can, then obviously and they feel comfortable, then it's effective for them. So, you know, there's a couple, couple different things to that, but I think it's obviously number one is the comfort of the player. Um, and, and can they execute the defense when it's called? So, Sure. And if we stick with a three-point stance, which tends to be the more common stance over here in the UK, what are you teaching your guys on a daily basis in terms of, obviously we're talking about them just being comfortable, but is there, uh, is there more technical direction that you're giving the guys in terms of how to get into the stance, how to, to hold themselves and to get out of that stance? Yeah, I think so. When you talk about, you know, obviously heel-toe relationship, you know, feet are about shoulder-width apart. Obviously, that could always dif differentiate based on if you're a bigger guy. Some guys, some bigger guys may have a wider base. You know, obviously, we want our hands, you know, slightly in front of our eyes. So, we're, we are leaning a little bit. We're still trying to have a flat back. Um, I like that offhand, the hand that's not down in the – and the ground to be close to, to the hand that's in the dirt, just so that gives us a chance to go from ground to man when we, when we go to strike somebody. Um, you know, you got to be able to move your neck a little bit. I know sometimes people will, will strain, and, and it's tough for them to prif the ball, you know. Um, sometimes when that happens, your hand is um, a little bit too far in front of you, so you feel like your body's elongated. Um, you know, that's, that's probably the, the easiest way to explain it. I think if you were to stand up and get heel-toe relationship, squat down like you're sitting in a chair, reach that hand. Let's just say we're in a right-handed stance, which means your right foot is slightly back. Reach your hand out to as far as it can go. And obviously, that's a little different for everyone based on arm length. Put it on the ground and put that offhand right next to it. More times than not, you'll be in, a, in an effective enough stance to get the job done. You may have to tweak it a little bit. You may have to slightly widen that left that left leg out or to have a better base because you never want your knees pointed out you know because um, again when you talk about the the foundation of a um, of a defensive lineman right talk about the eyes the hands the hips the feet you know the walking gate will tell you wherever your feet go that's where you're moving so if your my knees are out my feet are probably pointed out Okay, if I want to go to a certain direction, my feet will need to follow, right? What I'm saying is if I'm trying to go right, I eventually have to turn my toes right. It's the only way the hips will follow. It's just a basic walking gait, right? So when you're in a stance, however you're aligned, understand that first step is always going to replace that down hand. When that, when that back foot replaces the down hand, where is that thing pointed? And I think sometimes the first step is more important than anything else. But obviously, if I'm in a comfortable stance and I take that first step, 
and it's going to the direction I want to go, then it's sort of an effective stance and an effective get off. Excellent. Um, and you were talking earlier about the, the sort of get off the ball and that motor that you want from a player. Yeah. What, what sort of things do you do to coach effective get off? And are there any drills or explanations you can give around that? Yeah. So again, right, playing D line, like the, every position is a little bit different, but um, the one consistency that every position, all 22 guys in the field have, is that when the ball moves, the play starts. Okay, so um, they're all key in that ball in, in their own way. So defensive line, if I'm a left five technique, I'm in a right-handed stance, right? I'm looking at the ball, I'm periffing the ball, but still have eyes on my man on key. I mean, once that thing moves so slightly, I'm gone, right? So if that is the game-like scenario, you try to find ways to simulate reality, we call it. And when you're simula simulating reality, you're trying to find ways to get these guys to get the closest to game-like reps as they can. So for us, the number one drill for us is if you're in a three-point stance, I'll be about a yard, yard and a half right behind you off, off the inside. So what I'm saying is if I'm in a right-handed stance, right, you would be behind me about a yard, yard and a half right behind me. I'd have a tennis ball or some type of object that can roll. Tennis balls, softballs, whatever you can, you know, get to move a little bit quickly. I'm in my stance, and I'm periphering that inside. So we like tennis balls because of the color. They're easy to identify, right? Because, again, the emphasis of this drill is simply to just get off. So I'm going to roll that thing. And once I see that thing in the periphery of my vision, I'm going to roll off that hand. I'm going to replace that back foot on the down hand, and I'm going to try to scoop it up with my inside hand. What we're doing there is we're just trying to – it's just a tennis ball get off. We're just trying to get these guys to, like, start to react quickly. You know, once they start to see something in their peripheral, uh, their eyes move, bang, go. You know, and, again, it's just a reaction to, to that tennis ball. To me, that's the number one. You've seen guys do some other things where they will drop the ball on the ground, and once it moves out of the hand, they're trying to scoop it up before, you know, before it hits the ground again. The only thing I would say to that is it's not it's not game like scenario because again if I'm a defensive lineman I'm not looking forward I have to look inside and prick the ball a little bit so my my eyes have to be focused on that so this drill is unique because it it, it basically directly correlates to a center snapping the ball you know it, it's it's getting that ball to pass the the your vision and as you're periffing that that inside space. And now I can roll and get off the ball. So I think that's the number one. And obviously, if coaches are interested in that, um, you know, I have it all diagrammed up so I can send that to them. I mean, that's that'd be great. And we can talk about that afterwards and I can get that yeah. shared to the membership. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, in my opinion, that I think is undercoached, perhaps at the lower levels over here in the UK, is we, we understand, understand scheme. But in terms of defensive line play, once the guys are in their techniques, they're in their alignments, their front, whatever it may be, they tend to just play the gap. They rush the gap and they just try and try and penetrate. Yeah. They might not know, maybe this is down to you know practice time, the amount of time we have for the guys, what the offensive line opposite them are trying to do. So are there teachings that you do with your, um, with your players, whether that's, uh, film or 
drills or whatever it may be for them to get good clean reads of the offensive line so they know what inside zone looks like outside zone power pass protection play action all those type of things yeah so that that's a good question i i will say this i and and when you sent me that question um yesterday i was really thinking about that because i've never really taught it that way now obviously when you talk about defensive football right there are gaps that are created um, and I'm just talking about defensive football from a run standpoint first. Like there are gaps that are created and we have to find a way to make sure that we have a hat in each gap, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're sort of going for. Like we can't, we can't let the B gap be open. Someone has to be there. Someone's got to be in the C gap. Someone's got to play the quarterback in the read zone um, and what have you. When we talk about the pass game, you always try to be pl- – unless you're playing man – um, you're just trying to be plus one, right? So if you're playing a quarters concept, it's three over two. You want to be plus one um, to those two receivers because obviously the odds are in your favor there, right? So we, we don't really teach, even though I, I think our guys understand like, hey, this is what power is. This is what inside zone, outside zone. Defensive line, I think you look at two things initially. So before the ball snapped, you look at tight end and back relationship, right? Like, are they together or are they apart? And you look at the surface area that's in front of you. Like, if I'm a three technique and I'm aligning to the tight end, well, I'm a two or three-man surface. It's important because you can never be surprised about a second blocker. And I'll get to that in a minute. So, again, when you talk about defensive line play, Um, you are getting really three blocks. You're getting a reach block, a base block, or a cutoff. So those three blocks, if those are the focal points, you teach those those guys what that means, right? This is what a reach is. This is what a base is. This is what a cutoff is. And how to to handle those blocks based on the, the call, right? So if I'm a three technique, a left three technique, and that guy's trying to reach me, I want to Press the hard shoulder and set an edge, right? Okay, so he's trying to reach me to my left. His right shoulder, as I'm looking at it, it's his left shoulder. I'm pressing that with my left arm, reaching, gather. I'm going to set an edge. I'm trying to knock that guy back. Well, if I'm a four-eye or a head-up technique, let's say a two technique on that same guard, and he comes right at me, that's a base block. So in base blocks, right, if, if the V of the net comes right at you, I'm just trying to knock that guy back. Now – you always have a primary and secondary gap, right? There's always a gap that you're responsible for versus, and then a gap that you could fall into based on the run. So we don't really tell the guy, Hey, this is power. Now we tell him this is the name of the run because you know, that's what you do. You go, Hey, these guys are running power. But I think what's important is these guys can figure this stuff out based on the relationship of the tight end in the back and the surface area that you are aligned to. For example, if I'm a zero nose, so I'm lined up head up on the center, okay, and the back is to my right, and there's a three-man surface to my left, and this team is a heavy gap team. And what I'm saying is they're running gap schemes like power or counter or what have you. I have to know two things. I have to know, okay, you know, do they like running same side runs? If they do – then you're probably not going to get power in that look. But if they don't, and they like running gap schemes with the tight end and running back away, right, a gun far or, you know, however you want to explain it when you break down the opponents, 
I got to know that if I get a base block from this center, which means the V of the neck or the stripe of the helmet's coming right at me, I have to know where that three-man surface is because that guard's probably going to smash me um, from the side, right? So obviously that's like a pre-identification um, sort of way to identify the blocks you're going to get. Because again, I mean, I know offensive guys, they, when you talk to them, they have a lot of answers, but you know, if the back is aligned to my right, more times than not, the runs going left. Now I, I get it. There's always those outliers speed option or same side runs. I'm cool with that, but more times than not. And again, with playing defensive line, you got to play the percentages because as I'm going to strike this guy, he can really only do four things, right? And in the run game, it's really only three. Like he's going to try to come outside, which is a reach. He's going to come at me, which is a base, or he's going to work down and go inside either a cutoff or a veer release, right? So when those things happen, like you sort of already know what's going to occur. You know, if the back's away from you and you're getting a reach, that's where the run's going. If the back's away from you getting a base, it's probably going right inside in that gap. So um, I think you have to teach, uh, again, sort of long-winded, but you have to teach the runs. Like you got to teach the offense you're facing. Like, hey, man, we're going to get power, blah, 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 right? Inside zone, outside zone. But I think you got to teach them surface area runs. Like, hey, man, you're getting power to this look. You're getting counter to this look. You're getting inside zone, outside zone when they're in pistol. Okay, great or in the backs at home. So I think that helps the defensive lineman more than saying, hey, this is how I identify, because I think you identify the blocks you're getting, and by the blocks you're getting, you understand that, okay, this guy's trying to reach me. It's a zone concept. This guy's trying to base me or, or kick me out. It might be a gap concept. You know what I mean? So, um, and again, and I think this is really important. I think, you know, we've sort of talked about this sort of like, the development of defensive line play, um, you know, in the UK, if you can teach them how to, um, how to handle a reach, a base and a cutoff, like the rest is easy. You know what I mean? Like the rest, it's very, very simple because again, when a reach occurs, nothing else is happening. When a base occurs, okay, now you might get the double team. When a cutoff or an inside veer release, well, that's like a slip block. Now you might get a little bit of pressure from the, from the adjacent lineman, but I think when you really think about it, um, the guys can only come at you, go inside or go outside. So um, that's how I sort of would handle it. Not so much talk scheme, even though you got to teach them offense, but they got to know how to, how to handle those blocks first. Um, I think that's the easiest way to do it. Sure, and you're, you're talking about it now in terms of, I think it's great that you summarize them into those three blocks and you're talking about how to handle them. Yeah. Um, what, are you, what are you coaching these guys in terms of how to handle them? So perhaps you go through them one by one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's good. So when you talk about sort of like a reach block, right? Obviously, again, in the run game, we're trying to, we're trying to press hard shoulders. And, and what I mean by that is like, there's always a weight distribution from an offensive lineman. Like, unless you're playing a zero nose or a head-up technique and that guy just comes right at you, he's a little more balanced. If you're working an edge and you're playing, um, you know, an outside um, leverage position or inside leverage position being a two-eye or a shade or whatever, 
they always have a little bit more power to one side, right? And it's really like the hard shoulder of the block. And we, I learned that from Coach Grantham. I thought it was a great coaching point. Like, you know, we're looking to press that hard shoulder in the reach. We're trying to work up field and then obviously um, control that blocker and second key the back. Because, again, if I'm a three technique, my primary gap is the B gap. As that guard comes to reach me, I'm press, pressing that shoulder, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to dent the scheme. I'm trying to get that running back to not continue to go, right? If I, if I knock a guard back, okay, and, and that running back's taking the handoff, he's going to see that, and he's going to almost think like an edge is created. So what he's going to do is he has to put his foot in the ground and maybe change his path, right? Instead of maybe banging the play, he may have to bend it back. So when that occurs, and once I've my primary key and my primary gap is handled, then I can fall off the block and then shed, right? So when we talk about sort of that reach block, you know, I want to press the hard shoulder. Um, and I sort of, again, I have a presentation about sort of understanding leverage. Uh, we'll talk about later. I can try to get to the guys if they want. And, um, you know, we're trying to, again, press the hard shoulder and try to create knockback. And I think more times than not, if you can do that consistently, it's going to be very, very tough for an offense to, to consistently run that play. You know, they might have to get, they might have to get out of it. You know, um, when you talk about um, a base block, again, it's, it's sort of the same mindset. What I'm talking about here is a reach, obviously, is outside. A base block is if I'm a five or a three, he's coming at me. People also call it a fan. Um, it's the same idea. I think when you're trying to press the hard shoulder, all you're trying to do when you're getting a base block is to squeeze and compress that, that adjacent gap. So if I'm a B-gap defender, I'm a three technique, and that guard fans me, I'm trying to still strike sternum bicep, and I'm, I'm going to press him into that A-gap. I'm trying to constrict that gap so I don't create seams. Um, and again, so as that V of the neck and that pad tip comes to me, I'm going to roll out of my stance. I'm going to strike sternum, breast, uh, sternum bicep, and I'm going to press that guy into that A-gap. When we talk about a cutoff, it's the same thing. So if a reach is outside, a cutoff is inside. Now, you might not always get a cutoff. You know, as a tackle, it's more of a veer release because they'd probably be in red. But if, if my man on key, which is the guard, and we're talking more three technique stuff right now, but if my man on key goes away from me, right, I still want to strike the same strike point, sternum, bicep. I still want to press him into that A-gap. Again, if that guy's going down hard, something's happening. Either I'm getting kicked out, maybe a wham play, or that tackle's trying to come down and slip. So if it's a slip block, it's the same thing. I'm still trying to press that. And once I feel that guy outside the framework of my body, let's say he does a really good job and gets to the second level, I can always in-flight adjust and throw back into that tackle. Now, that's very similar to a four-eye. If the tackle, I'm an inside shade on that tackle, if that tackle fans out and goes out quick to maybe the overhang. Once I start to press that guy, if he, if he gets me so my hands are crossing my body and what we say is sort of leave the framework of my body, I always have to throw back because if not, I'm just going to get washed. But 
Um, again, those are sort of the three main um, blocks that you get and sort of ways that we would handle it. Obviously, we do a lot of this stuff um, in pods or we do a lot of this stuff on sleds. Um, you know, striking to me is one of the most undercoached things. Um, guys that can strike and create knockback on a consistent basis um, are really, really good defensive linemen. So, you know, when you asked that question earlier, what do you look for? Obviously, you know, relentless effort, um, pursuit, you know, sort of violence. I think guys that can use their hands effectively um, are, are a premium. And um, even now, I mean, I'm in the recruiting process and I watch these guys and they make a lot of plays, but I might say, no, I don't think he's for us. And, or, hey, I got to see him at camp or I want to coach this guy or see him in person because I want to see him sort of take instruction and use his hands. I mean, because hand placement is so important, you know, I mean, you know, run game is about controlling blockers, making a play, shedding, you know. Um, you can't do that if your hands are, are, are all over the place, you know. And I think once you can get your hands right and you know exactly where to put them, especially, you know, once you're getting these blocks, it's going to be really hard to be blocked, you know. And I think obviously that's the goal, so. Sure. And that's a very nice segue to my next question in terms of using your hands. So if we, if we just talk about, an edge rusher, um, let's say a defensive end in a, in a forefront, and he's got no tight end attached. He's just one-on-one -on -one with a, a tackle. And he comes out of his stance, he sees the high hat, and he reads pass. What are some of the techniques or fundamentals that you'd be coaching that guy to defeat that pass protection, get around the edge and make the sack on the quarterback? Yeah, so yeah, so play action is... Um, the, the convert to pass obviously is, is really important. Those are sort of like first and second down plays. I mean, you can still get on third down. Don't get me wrong, but, um, I think the best way is, is this is you can't be surprised when you get high hat. Um, you gotta be able to convert your rush. Um, the biggest thing and the easiest way for me is I know on first and second down, and that's where you see most of it. I have my hands in my, and my target spots every time I, I roll off the ball. Every time that ball snapped, I got to put my hands on a certain certain part of the offensive lineman, right? My hands, if I'm a two-gap guy, it might be breastplates. If I'm a, a one-gap guy, um, it might be sternum and biceps. So every time I'm going to strike, right? And the biggest thing with striking is, is your hands will follow your eyes. So when that ball snapped, my eyes are directly going right to my strike point. My hands will follow my eyes. My hands will follow my eyes. So when this all occurs and I start to strike this guy, something will happen. Either I identify its pass and I can do one or two things. Once I've identified, I have to feel the weight distribution of that lineman. Is he leaning on me? If he is, I can snatch him down. And that's a violent snatch down opposite of your leverage. So if my hands are in, um, in tight, I'm a two-gap guy and I'm tit to tit, right, breastplate to breastplate, I'm knocking this guy back. All of a sudden, I feel him leaning. I can snatch him down and pull him down opposite of your leverage. Um, and you can either go snatch arm over or snatch rip. Obviously, um, that, that's a preference. You know, uh, of, I know, you know, like John Grenard, he was a snatch arm over guy. Um, there are some guys that will be snatch rip, you know. So it depends, again, you know, so, sort of what you want to do. Um, but I think what's important, too, and some guys – some guys identify pass and they want to snatch right away. Well, if that guy's going back, right, let continue, continue to, to,
to bowl him. Like, there's no reason why you can't continue putting him in the lap of the quarterback. You know, the one advantage that we have as defensive linemen is, um, and let's just say we're rushing four, is the quarterback can feel us, but he can't always see us. And the offensive linemen have no idea where that quarterback is. Now, they have they have a, a, an assumption that, oh, well, okay, it's a five-step drop, it's a seven-step drop, um, it's three and a hitch, whatever. Like, this is where he should be. But, you know, some of those guys are skittish now. If you can physically and mentally affect that guy, um, you know, he'll start tucking that ball and going. So, again, if that lineman's on his heels, we want him to continue to go back. If you feel that lineman's on his toes, um, we want to convert our rush and snap him down um, and then go either arm over a rip to be able to, uh, you know, make a play on the quarterback. Excellent. Um, we're running out of time, but one last question. Yeah. Um, with all your time you spent at the other uh, other programs learning from these defensive coordinators, is there a favorite defensive play, if we concentrate on the, the front um, end of the defense in terms of stunts or blitz packages, was there any particular one that got you excited and um, was very effective and would you like to perhaps talk us through it and how, how to make it work? Yeah, so I guess um, just because we're talking sort of D-line play and um, I mean, there's a lot of things. I think we did a lot of really good things under Coach Grantham. Um, you know, they'll continue to do those things, you know, this, this next year. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, and this is sort of like a scheme talk, but, you know, every team has a guy that can just go. Like, you got to find ways to get those guys in position to make plays. And I thought, obviously, that's what Coach Grantham did really well. But um, some of my favorite things are obviously, you know, you're always trying to create chaos, right? And, and how you do that is, is TFL, sacks, hits on the quarterback, those things. Um, we had two stunts I thought were really good, right? So um, in the run game, a hammer stunt, which we're going to take the, the, the five technique and, and spike him in the B-gap. Um, he's going to sort of bullets that B-gap and get vertical. That's really tough on zone schemes. You usually do this. You set your three technique to the back. Um, so you'll have a, you know, a seven and a, and a three to the back or five and a three to the back, depending on surface area. And then away, you have a two-eye and a five. So obviously, the B-gap bubble is away from the back. A lot of times in zone schemes, that guard is so worried about that two-eye and climbing to that 30 backer, for example, or wherever your, your backer is in the box, that he doesn't worry about that five technique, right? And if you line up about a foot and a half outside that tackle, um, once he fans or tries to reach you, you go lateral, kick that inside heel out vertical, it's very tough tough to, to, to stop that. And they always feel like they have to wind back or sometimes they let them go. I know Coach Hevesy, and this is how I gauge if things are working. When, they, when the offensive line coach that you're playing, if he has to work that in Indy, it's effective. Okay, so I know Coach Hevesy worked this stuff. We did this call a lot. Um, you know, again, it's, it's a way to, to sort of mess up the the count system and the, and the front look for the offensive line. Cause again, they got rules. They have rules on all this stuff. So all of a sudden, if that tackle is supposed to be man on that five technique in, and he's, he stunts in that B gap gets vertical. Uh, well, I mean, who's going to block him? you know? So, um, you know, that was a hammer game. I thought that was really effective. And then a way to sort of like another look 
um, is you align the three technique opposite the back and you run what we call the pop game. So that three and that five opposite the back, that three technique gets loose. He gets vertical and penetrates. And what we're doing there is we're getting that guy to get vertical and to set an edge. So that, that running back, let's say, because, again, we're putting the three away from the, the running back, he doesn't bounce the ball. We want him to have to put his foot in the ground and get vertical. And as that guy gets vertical, that, that five technique is going to stunt, and he's going to wrap underneath to the A-gap. I think that's a really effective one. That's good against gap and zone schemes especially when you're talking about like power and the center has to block back, you know, um, I think that's really tough because all of a sudden that center blocks back and that front side a gaps wide open for that five technique to get vertical and hit. So um, the hammer game, the pop game, obviously those are two that I think are really effective. Fantastic. Appreciate it coach. Um, just before no we, problem. just before we wrap up, I'd like to give uh, guests the opportunity to share their social media and, um, let the listeners know if there's a way of getting hold of you, perhaps on Twitter or something similar. Uh, feel free to share them. Yeah, um, Coach Oz, so C-O-A-C-H-O-Z-U-T-M. Um, uh, that's on Twitter, so at Coach Oz, U-T-M. Um, feel free to follow, ask any questions, whatever you got. Um, would love to, to help out, so. Brilliant. Thanks, Coach. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and hopefully we'll get you over in the UK sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Thank you to Coach Osborne for taking the time to talk to us. As usual, get in contact with me at Coach Lillis if you'd like to appear as a guest or have a suggestion for a future topic. Tune in next time for another BAFCA coaching podcast episode. Thank you.